you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We're so glad each of you are here on this Wednesday night. We want to get into the word of the Lord for a little while tonight. Thank you for being here. Um, Before we conclude tonight. Actually, I failed to mention, and we need to just pause for a moment to pray. Uh, Specifically, I was asked to do so and failed. Um, My memory, I tell you, my memory is fading. Brother Kevin Spangler called today, and his father is in the hospital. He fell and injured himself very bad, very badly, and is in the hospital. You don't even have to stand, but just right where you are, I want you to pray for Brother Kevin Spangler's father, Ken Spangler, that the Lord would strengthen him. He's visited with us many times. Pray the help of the Lord with him. He is definitely in need of a touch from the Lord in several areas of his life. And then we have a score of people that are on vacation. It's spring break week, and we're supposed to feel bad for them, and we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray a blessing on them that the Lord would give them so much sun They're going to get so much sun. I'm only kidding tonight. Let's pray that the Lord will keep his hand upon them and uh, bless them and bring them all back, all 400 of them, wherever they are. So we're going to pray that the Lord will be with them. Would you just pray with me where you are? Lord, I pray over all these that are traveling and God that you would keep them safe in their journeys. Lord, bring them back into your house. Keep them throughout this week, all of our youth and families. Lord, bless them. Bless their homes and families. Bring them back stronger than they left. Lord, I pray for the Lytles and for all of those that are traveling. I pray, God, over uh, my wife and family tonight as they are traveling as well. I pray over their health and strength. Lord, I'm praying for Ken Spangler tonight, God, that you would strengthen him, touch his body, touch the Spangler family, Lord, every battle and struggle that Ken is dealing with. I pray, God, that you give him victory over. I pray for your word tonight, God, that as it goes forth, you will accomplish the purpose for which you were sending it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let everybody shout amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4 tonight, but I'm not going to read Luke chapter 4 for the sake of time because I want to... I've got a lot of notes. I have a long way to go tonight, but we are going to use Luke chapter 4, which is the temptation chapter, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about temptation and how Jesus dealt with temptation, and we're going to look at the the way that Jesus handled temptation, and um, we're going to, um, we're going to, 
give us, give us, we want to look at some, some ways in our personal lives that we can deal with temptation. Anybody ever deal with temptation? Four of you, good. The rest of you, the rest of you that don't deal with temptation, uh, maybe you could just come and line up and prepare tonight and you can teach this lesson. Uh, we all deal with temptation. There's a little story about a, a boy that went in a grocery store and I think it, it illustrates the nature of temptation. The story, it was a Reader's Digest uh, from many years ago uh, and I was thumbing through and I, I read this little article about temptation and uh, there was a boy that was, he was in a grocery store and, and there was a open, some open cookies. I don't know what they were doing open in the grocery store, but an open box of cookies were there. And, and uh, this young man, this young boy was standing by that box and he was looking at it and he was contemplating and the store manager came by and saw him and kind of stopped and stood just watching him to see what he was going to do. And finally, the store manager said, young man, what are you doing? And to which the, the little boy replied, nothing. And the store manager said, well, it looks like you're trying to take a cookie. And the little boy very quickly said, no, sir, you're wrong. I'm trying not to take a cookie. That's temptation. That's temptation. We all understand that temptation leads into trouble. And it is a struggle. There is a temptation. And we know that God is not the tempter. So I want, I want to begin tonight by laying a little bit of groundwork in our, in our discussion about temptation that God is not the tempter. God will never tempt you. But Satan is the tempter. He will tempt us. And so Satan is the tempter. And so all temptation comes from Satan. So it's true that we can say that, that temptation is a satanic attack. It is a satanic attack because all temptation comes from Satan. The Lord does not tempt us. The Lord, however, will test us or will try us. And uh, that trial or that test is for our own good. But temptation comes from the enemy. And we understand that that temptation is, is something that comes into every life. Um, how many of us have ever struggled and said, well, the devil made me do it? Only, only, only me. Now, you're going to have to help me a little bit tonight, all right? So if you're going to say amen, you got to yell amen, all right? So we're going to practice this so I know what I've got tonight to work with. So I, I know, sometimes I go home and I said, Annette, I taught or I preached and nobody was with me. And she's like, babe, I was sitting out there. I heard the amens and I said, I didn't hear them on the platform. So that means you got you to gotta testify a little louder when the word's coming forth. All right, somebody shout amen. Oh, yeah, you've been quiet all night long. I heard that up here loud and clear. If I get that kind of amen while I'm teaching tonight, I'm going to feel pretty good. Everybody say amen. That's even better. That's wonderful. So we've all said the devil made me do it, and, and that's an excuse that we can get caught up in sometimes. But the truth is, is that the devil never has made us do anything. 
Because the devil doesn't have power to make you do anything. He can tempt you, but he cannot force you. He cannot make you. He creates temptation, but if we do anything, if we participate in sin, it is not that the devil made us do it. It is that we willfully sin. We willfully sin. Now, how, how temptation comes and how sin comes into our life through temptation is, first of all, Satan sets the trap. That's the first thing. And I believe for every one of us, and I think you will all agree, that for every one of us, temptation comes in different packages. Because what one is tempted with, another is like. Temptation is like food. There are, there are some foods that simply are not a temptation for some of you. Anybody in here that don't like Brussels sprouts? There's hands just went up everywhere. Anybody in here that doesn't like beets? See, wow. I'm doing good so far. Could I keep guessing? Anybody in here that doesn't like chicken and noodles? <laughs> A little different there, wasn't it? So some, some sins, some temptations are more widespread and some are more, are more localized. Now, are there some of you that really do enjoy beets? Wow. Anybody that loves, I heard Brother Jerry over here said, amen. How about Brussels sprouts? Any Brussels sprouts? I enjoy those myself if they're not too bitter. Fine line there. But see, so for some of us, there may be some temptations that for others it's not a temptation at all. Because it's, it's, it's how we're built, it's how we're made. So when Satan sets a trap... Know this, that the trap will be set for you. He doesn't set a trap for somebody else and inadvertently catch you in a trap. The trap is set for you. Second, the second thing is comes the appeal or the lure of the trap or could we say the bait that is used in the trap. It is the appeal. It is the, it is the words that are used. It is the action. It is the, it is the desire. This is where... Lust comes involved. This is the point that we are drawn away. We are lured in by the appeal of the sin or the words or the desires. So first comes the trap and then the appeal. The third thing is where the real struggle begins. The real, the real struggle begins now because we have to now make a decision. And here is where the, the real issue comes. It is uh, the, the struggle. Everybody say the struggle is real. So the struggle is real in that every one of us have to make a decision. Now, now my, my urging to you tonight is that we make, we, we have a, a predisposition regarding temptation. Meaning that we already know how we are going to respond to certain situations when they come into our lives. Meaning, if, if, 
if flirtation comes, I'm talking to everybody except Isaac and Drew. If flirtation comes, you have to immediately stop it at the beginning. You have a, anybody with me now? I didn't just disconnect from the crowd, did I? So when that flirtatious spirit comes, we know immediately we're married. We're not going to respond to that. We are, there's a predisposition. I'm married. I'm not even looking into this. I'm not going to go ahead and step in and say, whoa, 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 look here, and begin to respond. We're not going to, there's going to, we, we already have a made up mind how we're going to respond to that. It doesn't matter how great the cologne smells. It doesn't matter. We already have a made up mind of how we're going to respond at that moment. Anybody with me tonight? Therefore, we are minimizing the struggle. First comes the trap and then the bait. Then comes the struggle of the decision. How do we respond? What will we do? I could go a lot of directions with this tonight, but there is, a pow- there is great power in a made-up mind. And there's great power in a, in a predetermined mindset that says, I already know how I will respond. Because when we open ourselves up to something, I, I told somebody this past week, I've been married 30 years. I don't need to go kiss another woman to decide if I love my wife. Well, hello, somebody. I don't have to say, hang on here, babe. Let me go make sure that I'm still in love. Ooh, it's tight in here tonight. I heard amens a few minutes ago all the way up on the platform. Now I'm getting blank stares. So if we have, if we already have a made-up mind, it will help in the process. The fourth thing I want to point to you tonight is that temptation always ends with a response. We either respond to step toward the temptation or we close the door to temptation. Our response is what will always end the temptation. Either we fall into the trap or we cut it off and say no to the allurement of sin. Now, I want my real point tonight is I want to consider how Jesus deals with temptation. And in, in our text in Luke, the fourth chapter, we're going to see three general ways that Jesus was tempted. And it's the same ways that the adversary that came against him will come against you and I. And I want to look at some of these tonight. And by way of introduction, I want you to see how that the temptation came to Jesus and how that he responded and how that he answered. Jesus, the scripture saying, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So here's what I want to qualify with you tonight. It was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness. 
Verse 2 says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now Jesus is quite different from me evidently because I get hungry every day of the 40 days. But the scripture said after, at the conclusion, at the end, after he had fasted 40 days, now he is hungry. Now he is tempted. So, so Matthew 4 records that this temptation of Jesus came directly after that he was baptized. So there's a lot that's going on in this text here. It was, it was at that point, according to Matthew, in the way that he tells it, 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 it's here that the voice of God speaks directly out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a spiritual high to hear the voice from heaven speak into your life and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What a spiritual high. Jesus in Luke declares that he had fasted 40 days and he's in the wilderness. What I want to point to you tonight is that there is two things that's going on here. One is there is a spiritual high. Be careful when you are walking on cloud nine and you're, you're, you really, you know, great things are happening for you. It seemed like that you have everything going your direction. At that point, if we're not careful, we will stop paying attention to the trap that is set by the devil. There is a point that things can go so well for us that we fail to realize that the struggle is still there, that the struggle is still real. And so here we find Jesus tempted at a point that things were going very well. It was, he, was on a, it, he was on a high. I, I've heard some of our elder ministers say over the years, sometimes we go through revival service, would come to the conclusion, have big high services, and at the end of it there would be a warning that came forth. Be careful because your adversary, the devil, is now on alert and he will attack you from every angle. And you go from a spiritual high on a Sunday night when people are, are, are running around the church and bouncing off the walls and speaking with tongues to the, to the fight on Monday makes you want to lay down the Holy Ghost and cuss somebody out. Hello, somebody. Because we can go from a spiritual high to a great temptation. Jesus did. The second thing that I want us to look at is that this temptation came at a time of physical weakness. Beware of the battles that you fight and their attachment to your physical well-being. Can I talk to you for a little bit tonight? Your physical well-being and your spiritual well-being often are not too far apart. That's why it's very important that we pay attention. My wife reminds me often, I've shared it with you dozens of times, because I believe it is very important that we understand that our spiritual and emotional state can be so closely attached to our physical state. Sometimes my wife will tell me, you just need to go to bed and get some sleep. And she's right. I wake up the next morning and I feel better about everything. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? 
It's like everything I was struggling with the night before, all of a sudden I wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, no, it's all good. And then I feel like maybe I need medication for that. I'm not sure. But the truth is, is that's in every one of our lives. Every one of us go through these kind of struggles because we can be physically exhausted. We can need a break. This is why it's very important. I'm not upset at anybody tonight that's on spring break. We've come through a long, hard winter, and now that people are out taking vacations, getting out, spending time, that's wonderful. I'm glad they're able to. I just hope they're back in the house of the Lord on Sunday if their trip and vacation is over. I'm not talking about not being faithful to the house of the Lord and using it as an excuse. But the truth is, is that we need, we need time to rest. We need time to, to bring our minds back together at points and times of weakness. We go through a season of prayer and fasting and strengthening for the church. And it's also weakening to the physical body. And during that time of prayer and fasting, I had someone come to me this year. And he even said, I'm thinking about dropping out of the fast because I've been on this fast. I've been doing good. I've been faithful to it. But he, I am fighting a battle so great. And I feel like if I would just stop the fast, maybe the battle would stop. And I'm not so sure about that. But I am sure about this fact. It was at 40 days that the, the devil came and began to tempt Jesus at that point of his physical weakness. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're stressed, when you're worn out, the devil knows it's a whole lot easier now to be able to get the best of them. It's real easy now to cause them to lose hope, lose faith, and make an irrational decision to walk away from God. Watch people who often backslide and leave the church and check, check their life out and see where they are. Sometimes it is an emotional decision. I had to speak to somebody very recently and I said to them, never make a decision when you're down. It's a bad time to make a decision when you're in the valley. You wait until you get on the mountaintop. You can see much more clearly. There's a whole lot less emotions attached to your decisions. Make your decisions when things are going well. Satan attacked Jesus and tempted him and came to him at his weakened state. He's weakened physically and emotionally, without a doubt exhausted. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. The third, the third temptation that came to Jesus. The scripture said that he was alone. Everybody say alone. He was alone. So there was a spiritual high, there was physical weakness, and now he's alone. Alone. A lot of bad things can happen when we're alone. Alone is not always the place that a child of God needs to go to. There are moments, there are moments that we need to be alone. None of us are going to, going to deny the fact that I don't need it, it's not my notes. I think it was Sister Ashley, so we're all good. There are moments that we need to spend alone. I believe we need to be alone with God at times. I think alone time can be healthy for each of us if we're at a point where we can handle being alone. But when life has got you pushed up against the wall, that's not the time you need to be alone. Alone at that point gives the devil an opportunity to tempt you to become depressed, to tempt you, to lead you into sin. Sometimes being alone is exactly 
the wrong thing to do. So you've got to be very careful about being alone. Time spent alone can be destructive. The temptation of Jesus came when he was alone for 40 days. After a spiritual high, a physical a physical weakness, now he is alone. I'm going to tell you, when I'm facing the devil himself, I do not want to be alone. There is power and strength in unity. The Bible teaches if one puts a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. There's a principle in Scripture that we need to be united. We need to be together. We need one another. We are our brother's keeper. If you see your brother or sister pulling off to themselves and not wanting to be part of the group, just go to them and remind them the banana that doesn't stick to the bunch is the first one to get peeled. We need to be together. We've got to stick together. We need one another. Being together, there's strength in being together, so we must be careful. Jesus was alone. C.S. Lewis made these insightful observations about temptation. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good against temptation. We must learn the process of resisting temptation. There is a predetermined decision and then there is the the decision that must be made in a moment. I'll tell you some things that will help you make those decisions in a moment. A predetermined decision is a made-up mind that when, that when you have to reaffirm that decision, that temptation is much easier to overcome when there was already a predetermined decision. So now you can say no much easier, or you can say yes much easier. Your prayer life will dictate your decisions when, when you're dealing with temptation. People say, oh, I don't get this prayer life thing. I don't get all of that. Then how are you dealing with temptation? Because if you don't have a prayer life, temptation will overtake you. Temptation is destroyed in a prayer life. That's why that when the devil comes, he, he will always come at moments. He sets the traps at moments that you feel like, oh man, I've been fasting and praying, I'm doing good. And let me just get alone in the wilderness for a few days and pull away from everything. And when I get pulled away from everything, then I'm going to see how things work out. And at that moment that you feel like I'm taking a break from prayer and taking a break from consecration, that's when the trap becomes set. Daily prayer and consecration. This is what I've learned a long time ago. I believe alone time, vacations, these things are good. Summer's coming, but listen, summer is not a vacation from your, from your daily routine of prayer, study of the Word of God. I'm not telling you you can't leave and go on vacation and, 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 and miss a service. If you, if you, can't, if you can't do that and still be saved, there you, we probably need to talk. But I am telling you that when we go on vacation, there's no time to say, now I'm throwing everything that I practiced the other 51 weeks of the year. Now I'm throwing it all out and go live like the devil while I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation. It's my week to sin. No, you'll end up losing out with God. So we have to make sure that we are grounded and that we, we, have, we have a 
predisposition already made and understand that although we are alone, although we are alone, we still have a responsibility to rise early in prayer or pray before bedtime or whatever your prayer routine is. I still challenge you, stay faithful through your summer months, through your time off. Don't just say, well, I do this all the rest of the time, but during summer when I'm out of school, when I'm off from college, when I get a break, I, this is when I, I, I just need some me time and I don't want to do all of those things. Your Bible reading still ought to remain sure even though you're on vacation. These are some things. The reason I'm talking a lot about vacation because so many are gone tonight. So I'm pretending I'm preaching to them tonight. All right. So the temptation that Jesus had, he dealt with when he was alone. So the first great temptation, I'm going to point out some great temptations. The first great temptation that you and I will deal with is the temptation to do it by yourself, to do it yourself. Many of you who may be in positions at work, anybody ever run into that? Well, if I may as well just do it myself. Any of you moms at home say, tell the kids to clean house and you give up, and you're just, I may as well just do it myself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My wife's car, if I want it clean, I may as well just... She's not here to defend herself. My father-in-law called her that. And so did my mother-in-law. I'm not supposed to reveal these things, am I? But Dan has to keep Cindy's car clean. It is a temptation. The first temptation is to do it yourself. yourself. The devil speaks in verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now don't be misled by, by a false misunderstanding of the devil's statement here when he says if you are the son of God because in the original this is an affirmation. It literally means since you are. Since you are the son of God, make these stones to become bread. The first temptation would not be a temptation at all if Jesus were not indeed the son of God. The devil is well aware that God exists. The scripture said he believes in one God. So I don't think that that expends a great deal of effort and time trying to dissuade us from the belief in God. But his basic strategy is to make us believe. Here you go. Here's your word for tonight. To make us believe that God cannot be trusted. This is what he's trying to do. If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. The basic strategy of the enemy in every one of our life is to make us believe that God cannot be trusted. So we need to do it on our own. Don't trust God in your finances. Don't trust God for your health. Don't trust God in any area of your life. Satan entered into the biblical picture at creation in the form of a servant uh, of a serpent. He said to Eve, God cannot be trusted. Not literally, those weren't literally the words he uses, but he says, The Lord said, You shall not eat of the truth of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But if you do, you'll be as wise as he. In other words, if you do, you can do it on your own. You no longer need God. Do you see the temptation there? Just make these stones bread. It's no big deal. There was no law against turning stones into bread. But the, 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 the idea was reach a point where you no longer need God. You can do it by yourself. You can get smart enough to make it on your own. You can get wealthy enough to do it by yourself. I don't need to be faithful to God. I, I can do it on my own. Jesus being without food for six weeks because here, here he is fasting in the wilderness. He could invoke his powers that be and turn stones into bread. This temptation would have been a very real temptation. Jesus could have done it. And without a doubt, his human nature, because you understand that though he was God, he was also human. He was tempted in all points like as we are. So even in his human nature, in his human nature, this would have been the desire of human nature having not eaten for six weeks would have been screaming, just do it. Turn the stones to bread. John Piper says that sin gets his power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow the sin. That's what sin does. You'll be better off if you'll follow the sin. If you'll believe you don't need God, things will be better. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make life better for you if you don't trust God. But verse 4, Jesus gives very clear, very clear direction in how to handle Satan. Jesus says in verse 4, It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By every word. So we often, we, we, we often get caught up in, in what I said. But Jesus declares it is written, stating that it was already put in Scripture. And he's taken to the Old Testament text here where he has declared that it is written. But in other words, it has been established. Everybody say established. It has been established. There are some things that you need to establish beforehand. It is written. Our temptation is not to turn stones into bread because that would be impossible for us. It wasn't impossible for him. But the temptation is just as real. But the complaint behind the temptation is feel still very strong. The devil's ploy in this world is to make us believe that if we want something done, we can just do it ourselves instead of trusting God. We're regularly tempted to go outside of the confines of God's will to satisfy our personal desire and our personal needs. We often promote ourselves because we are sure that God will not do it for us. We're certain. That's why we have a hard time trusting God with our health, trusting God with our finances, trusting God with our family. 
we scheme, we plan, and think it's we're better off. It's for our well-being. And we assume that God is not able to hear our cry, that God is not hearing our prayer because he's not answering in our time. The issue is, is that what God is doing, he's doing for our benefit. So if the prayer has not been answered in our time, doesn't mean that God did not hear our prayer. It means that God has a better plan. So my first challenge to this congregation tonight is to put your life in the hands of God and leave your life there. Don't try to do it on your own. Number two, the second great temptation that Satan tempted Jesus with was to take the easy way out. I really want to talk about this for a few moments tonight. To take the easy way out. The devil taking him up to a, a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all power will I give unto thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. See, Satan declares that the power was given to him. This is where he lies because that power was not given unto him. And to whomsoever I will give it. Watch. Where Satan is mistaken is he is assuming power that was never given to him. He's looking at the creator of the universe saying, look around you, all these things that you, that, look at all these things that be, I have power over all of them. What a liar. Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is promising something that Jesus already had power over. He often comes and tempts us with things that God has already promised us. Just stay in his word. Live under his promises. Jesus, Jesus answers him in verse 8 and says, get behind me, Satan. Now there's a reason here. Because he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross. There was no easy way. He could not take the easy way. He says, I'll give you all of this power if you'll just bow down and you will worship me. Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, the struggle has always been about worship. That's why your worship is always a struggle. Every time we enter into the house of the Lord, there's always a struggle. The physical body says, oh, I'm too tired to worship. The spirit says, eh. Our personalities say, yeah, don't, don't, don't step out of your comfort zone. The battle has always been over worship. And he fights worship from every angle. And then he promises, see, you can still have all of these things that God has promised you if you'll turn your attention of worship upon me. But Jesus answers and says to him, get behind me, Satan. There is an answer to temptation. An answer to temptation is not, well, let's leave it in front of me. Let me think about it, weigh over it, consider it. It is, get behind me. Sometimes in order for things to get behind us, mean we need to turn our back to it. Anybody with me tonight? I ought to get a stronger amen in this house. Some things that we battle with, in order for them to be behind us, we need to turn our back to it and say, it's behind me. You stay behind me. 
I'm not leaving it in my face. I'm not going to keep it in front of me. I will put it behind me. I will turn my back to it and walk away from it. You don't have to look very far to see the application here. The world says avoid sacrifice. Take the easy path out. I'm not going to give all of that money and trust God. I'm not going to live my whole life with the same, hey, we married when we were young and there were some problems, so I'm going to take the easy route out. Nobody going to help the preacher tonight. Anyway, you deserve to be happy and fulfilled in life. Take the easy way out. It's a prime example of the world. It's why 50% of all marriages end in divorce, because people take the easy way out. They make a commitment before God and all these witnesses and say, Till death do us part, but it's really until we make a better decision or find somebody that we like better. The third great temptation, I realize I'm meddling, I'll do. The third great temptation is to not believe it until you see it. That takes the faith element out. Anybody with me tonight? This takes the faith element out. The devil took Jesus to the point of the temple roof that overlooked the, Kid, the Kidron Valley. It was a large drop, about 450 feet drop down to the valley floor. And now he makes him a very tempting offer. He sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down. Now watch what Satan does to Jesus now. Jesus has already told him at the first temptation, it is written. The second temptation, he says, get behind me. Now Satan comes to Jesus and he says, cast yourself down, for it is written that if you cast yourself down, that you will give angels charge. Satan turns around and uses Jesus' own words. He's ramped the whole idea up. He goes even deeper into it and he says, he says now to Jesus, cast yourself down because you said, because you said you would give the angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. If it's real, I won't believe it until I see it. Let me be real with you tonight, all right? These two little things on the side are not snake pits, all right? They're not snake pits, meaning we don't, we don't handle any snakes around here. Because the idea of snake handling churches is that they miss this, all right? Is it all right for me to be real with you tonight and talk about this? Ain't no snakes going to be handled around here, not as long as I'm here. I'm long gone. If any snakes are coming, adios. I love y'all, but no snakes. So they take a scripture out of context, and they try to put a literal meaning to it. And the literal meaning to it is, is I will not trust God unless I see it. So in other words, until you've been, their, their philosophy is until you've been snake bit and lived through it, you haven't really proven that you have anything, there's anything to the Spirit of God in your life. That is evil in of itself. But the same temptation is what Satan comes to Jesus with and puts him on a pinnacle of the temple and he says now cast yourself down this 450 foot cliff because you said that if you cast yourself down Jesus responds to him and says don't tempt 
Let me explain something to you. There is a point where we've got to trust God in things that we do not see. The book of Hebrews declares about faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence. Faith is the evidence. Everybody say faith is the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, it's not faith. I cannot tell you by faith that there is a speaker in front of me with a Kleenex box behind it. That is not faith. I can see it. Faith is when I cannot see it, have not seen it with physical natural eyes, but only by faith can I know and trust that God is working things out where I cannot see. This is a battle of trusting God. This is a temptation. Don't trust God unless you can see it. i got to see it to believe it. No, you don't. That's the lack of faith. Faith says I'll trust God with things that I cannot see. This would be the equivalent of saying to God, I won't believe you until you show me on my terms. You show me on my terms. The Bible is full of the promises of God. And sometimes we're, we're, we're tempted to lose faith. And we, we ask God, why? Believe me, I know. I had this discussion with a sweet couple today in the hospital room. We're tempted sometimes to ask God, why? Let me say this to you tonight. Sometimes we question the storm, but we never question God. We question the storm. I don't understand the storm. I don't understand why it's got to rain on the just and unjust. I don't, I don't have an answer for everything. I don't know why babies have to die. I don't know why good people have to go through great trial. I don't know. I don't get that. When we get to heaven, that's one of the things I want to have answered. I want to understand it. But this much I know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose because His Word says it and I can't see it, but I know it by faith. I trust it. I don't have to see it to believe it, but I trust Him and I do it by faith. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I can't see it, but I trust Him. I trust Him just the same. We don't have to test the boundaries of temptation. We don't have to test the boundaries of sin. I don't want to miss the truth that is given in this, in this passage. The scripture says in the 13th verse, and when the devil had ended all his temptations, he departed from Jesus. He departed from him for a season. Everybody say for a season. Even Jesus resisting the devil sent him to flight, but it was only for a season. No matter what season you're in, you're in one of three seasons. You've, you're either, you've either been through it, you're going through it, or you're about to go through it. There's no, other, there's no other season to be in. You're in one of those three seasons. You've been through it, you're going through it, or you're about to go through it. 
The devil may leave you alone for a season. You may rebuke him for a season. You may go through a time that the devil's not fighting you, but he will come back to fight. He, de- he may depart from you. You resist him, being steadfast in the faith, and he will flee from you. But it's only a season. You'll have to deal with that guy again. That temptation will come back again. The Greek is much more blunt when it talks about this. The scripture said he stood off. That's, that's the Greek word uses that term when it says he departed. The Greek uses a very a more clear definition saying Satan stood off. He stood off. That's, that's exactly what he does. He, he gets behind us. He, we can put him behind us. And he may leave for a while, but know that he's always lurking in the darkness, always waiting for a moment that he can catch you at a weak moment and set the next trap for you. Because he's relentless. He's relentless. You may have to fight a battle more than once in order to win it. You may deal with a struggle, deal with a battle, but here's what I've learned. Every time you give in to the enemy, next time it's easier to give in. When you say yes to the enemy, next time it's easier to say yes. And the next time, even easier. And before long, it will no longer feel like it's hardly a temptation. You already know that you're always going to give in to that. But the same is true when you resist the devil. Every time you resist him, next time you will be bolder and stronger and more able to say no to the temptation. So I challenge you tonight to say no. Every time temptation comes, say no. Every time you do it, it'll be easier next time to say no. The devil will always be lurking somewhere. When you're weak, expect a major assault. He'll come. When you resist, be ready for a different approach. When he leaves, count on it. He will come back. Again, I'm closing tonight. If you guys want to come to music. We'll close with a happy tune. Make everybody rejoice tonight. There are three lies that Satan wants you to believe today. There are three things that that, that he wants you to believe. First, he wants you to believe you can make it on your own. Number two, he wants you to believe that you can live however you want to live and be okay in the end. And the third thing is, is he wants you to force God to prove himself to you before you can trust him. God doesn't have to prove himself, although he proves himself over and over again. The scripture even declares that he has proven himself from the very beginning when he laid the foundation of the world. The scripture, the King James Version, uses a term uh, sundry times. I don't know exactly what that means, but that he has proven and proven and proven, and he did it before you were ever born, and he'll be doing it long after you've gone. God will prove himself, but let God prove himself. Don't force God to prove himself to you. And here's how you... Here's how you handle temptation. James chapter 4 and verse 7. The scripture says resist. Everybody say resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. Resist. That doesn't mean talk to him. Resist him. Make him uncomfortable. Push him out of the way. Turn your back on him. Put him behind you. Declare get behind me Satan. Resist the devil and he will flee. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 9, my last verse for tonight. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, the scripture tells us how to resist him. Whom 
resist. First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's how you resist the devil. You want to know what makes the devil angry? When you're resisted is by remaining steadfast in the faith. I'm not wavering. I'm not making, I'm not making God prove himself to me. I'll stand steadfast in the faith. Knowing, knowing that the same afflictions which was accomplished in your brother is also accomplished in the world. So my point is the same thing that I go through, the world has to go through. I quote that text all the time. It rains on the just and unjust. This is what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9 is declaring. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Meaning, whatever the world goes through, you're going to go through. And whatever you go through, the world, it's not better in the world. You're going to deal with the same issues, the same problems. The difference is, is you don't have God on your side. I can't imagine going through some of the struggles and battles that this life can bring us without knowing I've got a God on my side. Aren't you glad you've got a God on your side tonight? Why don't you stand to your feet with us tonight? These guys are going to lead us in a chorus tonight. Let's join our hearts and faith right now in strong affirmation of our faith and declare, I will not, I will not give in to the temptation of the devil. I will resist him and he will flee from me. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands toward heaven right now. God, I pray over this congregation tonight. I pray over every person that deals with temptation. Those who are in the battle, those who have been through the battle, and those that will face the battle tomorrow. I pray, God, that you strengthen our faith. Allow us, God, to stand strong and firm in your word, declaring, Lord, that we will be victorious by faith in the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Clap your hands to the Lord tonight. Lift your voice and thank Him tonight. He's given us the victory. He's given us the victory. He's given us the victory. In Jesus' name.